Hello, and welcome to Brain Fork. My name is Antonis. And I'm Sarah. Sarah, can you please remind me, because I don't remember, why are we doing this and what are we doing today? Okay, so we're, do we're doing this so that people can talk more openly about, about mental health, mental health in tech, and mental health in design. And today we're going to have the amazing Cher, which is a, she's a tech lead at Starbucks, and she's going to tell us about her experiences with mental health and focusing on bipolar disorder. And it's amazing. Let me just tell you, I am not bragging, but it's pretty dope. Right, Antonis? I am, yes. We recorded this bit quite a while back, and I'm super excited to share this. If this would be our only episode, this is the best episode I could hope to write. So strap yourself in, grab yourself cozy cushion or something, a cup of tea, or go to work and you're, while you're working or going to work and you're determined and you have facial expression of a Viking warrior as you move forward. Listen to this. This was very dramatic. Let's begin. So if we could start just by, if you could introduce yourself, what are you doing for a living, uh, where are you now, and what is your, what is, what is the problem you've been experiencing? The problem? As in mental, mental health. Oh, issues. okay. Uh, my name is Cher. Uh, I am a technical lead for Starbucks Technology um, on the web team. I work remotely full-time out of uh, the St. Louis area, which has a whole backlog of like, why are you there? You're cause I'm from Seattle. Um, and obviously this is a strange place to live, but there's a whole backstory of why I'm here. Um, and luckily I, you know, I got this opportunity to do what I want um, for a company that has values that I really care about and actually like cares about my mental health as much as I do. That's amazing. I didn't know that Starbucks hired people remotely. Um, they do on a case-by-case -case basis. It's very new. Uh, so I have bipolar disorder. I have a few other things as well, but it's kind of a laundry list. So I feel like bipolar disorder is <laughs> the most relevant one because it's the one that affects my life the most. And I started disclosing it as a disability because it is a disability. And it's a lot easier to get remote work that way because it's an accommodation. Um, so I was on Twitter and uh, I had been talking about this job that I left because they actually treated me really poorly. Um, and they, they argue that it wasn't because of my bipolar disorder, but all of the things that they complained about were direct results of my bipolar disorder and also being a single parent. So um, I quit that job, obviously. Um, and I, was going to go work at um, Capital One Technology, actually, with a bunch of friends that I used to work with at um, Gannett, uh, which USA Today. And uh, it just didn't work out the way that they and I had planned. Um, the team that I was going to work on really wanted me uh, in the office half of the time, and they're in DC. So uh, that was just uh, too hard to do as a, as a parent, um, you know being away for half of every single month um, for my daughter was just not something that I or she wanted. Um, so Brunel, David Brunel, who is the director of engineering now at Starbucks, had reached out to me um, several times during this process saying that he really, really wanted to hire me because of my presence on Twitter, not my followers, but like the things I say, like I'm very candid and unapologetically me. Like, because of the human you are. That's good. <laughs> 
Right. Um, but I told him that, you know, it had to be remote, like a hundred percent, like couldn't be anything else. And, you know, I, you know, I looked at Starbucks and they didn't, none of the things said that they did remote. And like, I it just explained to him like why between my daughter being here and her, you know, her school being here and uh, her dad's family being here and then my bipolar disorder. And he was like, well, I'll try to make it work. And I, I guess he did because <laughs> here I am. And that was last November. So it's been such a like huge blessing, which sounds like ridiculous, but I feel absolutely so lucky that I found this opportunity where I can say like, you know, like I have to work remote. And even if I do move to Seattle, like I cannot be in the office full time. Like I just cannot because I have problems. <laughs> oh, but that is, that is actually pretty amazing. Like they, they literally bent the rules because they, they wanted you there, which I think is, is kind of amazing. Yeah. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think it helps like prove to, you know, the rest of the company that there are positions where you don't need to be, you know, button seat. Like I don't need to be a visible body all of the time. Like I think it's good to be there some of the time. Um, And I'm sure that there's some positions that that doesn't work, but there are so many opportunities, um, you know, to give not just people with mental health problems, but like parents and other disabilities, like work that they can do, they don't have to be in the office for, and they could be more productive. I'm more productive, obviously, because my bipolar disorder is so like hindering most of the time, but I feel like I accomplished so much. And I hate being like that person that's like, I got over my disability because really I haven't every single day is really difficult. But when the barrier of getting out of bed is like no longer showering or getting dressed or even eating, like it's literally just like put laptop on lap and I can still be productive. That's huge. One of the massive things that I've noticed when I started working remotely was that I was way happier because I didn't have to do commuting every day because Mm -hmm. I didn't, there was like those, I used to do like an hour of commuting and it was terrible. Ugh. Like I either took the car and I just, I got to work so annoyed because there were lines everywhere. I'm also a very, I have a lot of road rage, but I like Ooh. driving. So that makes it kind of weird. Sorry, you generally have a lot of rage. Let's not forget about that. <laughs> I have a lot of rage. Um, so, uh, and I realized that I was way happier to just not have to commute for like an hour every day. That makes someone so much more productive and happier. That is kind of amazing. And I never thought about that. I don't know. And then when I started working remotely, I was like, this is amazing. What do you mean I don't have to get on the bus? Oh, I totally, totally agree. And I feel like, I mean, so my commute at the previous job that treated me like Garbo um, was an hour because of traffic. And um, yeah, it just made it so much harder because it's like, like I said, like that barrier of like getting up and getting to your job is, is, is over an hour. Like you have to get up. You have to shower, you have to dry your hair, you have to get dressed, you have to make sure you have clean laundry. If you don't have clean laundry, then you have to wash something. And so now you're getting up even earlier. And it's just like, man, like all of this stuff, like why? Also having not so fixed uh, like times to start, I feel like gave me a lot more freedom in stuff. For, for example, I've uh, there have been like three times where I almost died like riding my car because I was late to work. And that is so unnecessary. I could have Absolutely. died because I was 10 minutes late to work. Why Why are you making me do this again? I don't know. Yeah. Or like that, that feeling of that like anxiety creeping up, like when you're running a couple yeah. of minutes behind, but you don't actually have to be anywhere at any certain time. It's just like that feeling that 
your, you know, your peers or your boss or whoever can give you where you're like, oh man, everybody else is there before 9.30 or what a.m. or whatever, even though nobody actually has to be there in like 10, until like 10 or 10.15 or, you know, whatever. Um, but you feel like because you're the one that's not there, that you've done something wrong. I remember one day, like my entire company just started getting in a, around 10. That was the max. That was not the max, but it was like the last person arrived at 10. So she was like the person that if you arrived after her, you were late. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, her name was also Sarah. So that's kind of funny. And one day I was late and I got there at 10, 15. And um, so what happened was I was getting on the elevator because I was working on the fourth floor. And the moment I got on the elevator, I was between two buildings, two, two floors, and the elevator just stopped because everyone gets in before 10. So they were they were doing maintenance on the elevator. Didn't realize that someone was there because no one ever gets out after 10. And I was like, yep, I'm really late. And then I was clicking the button and I heard this guy at the top being like, oh shit, there's someone in the elevator. You need to push them. Oh my God. They didn't check. <laughs> they didn't check that there was someone there because no one ever comes after 10. And I was like, yep, never coming after 10 again. So every day I was just like running to the office to not come after 10 and get stuck in the elevator again. <laughs> it was terrifying. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, you know, another thing that I used to do when I worked in an office, and so this is when I was at Blizzard and USA Today, actually. So if I didn't have my daughter and she was like with her dad mm -hmm. or her grandparents, I wouldn't want to leave work, not because I wanted to continue working or I was like, I mean, sometimes I was like super hung up on a problem, but like most of the time it wasn't that. It's because I didn't want to drive home because it was like, you know, 30, 45 minutes, whatever, like sometimes an hour, just like, man, like I don't want to go home. So I'm just going to sit here and like do whatever I was going to do on my computer at home here alone in the dark. <laughs> Cause you know, like all those like motion sensor lights and they like all turn off. after It's slightly <laughs> creepy, <laughs> but I've actually, I've done that in one of the companies because you only get traffic from six to seven 15, like PM. So I was just like, I'm going to leave at 7.20 so I can get home in 20 minutes. I don't want to get stuck in traffic. That's going to be... Because I kept like... That was the the that was at a point where I had a lot of panic attacks. So every time I was in traffic, I was like, I'm going to have a panic attack and die here. I relate to it's that. It's going to be great. So I was just... I would leave at like 7.30 when like no one was there. So I could just get home faster, basically. So I, I know exactly what you mean, but I had to turn off the lights by myself. So that was good. The lights didn't turn off a lot. On the subject of panic attacks, and sorry to bring up a sensitive topic, since this log oh, sorry blog <laughs> what am i talking about here since this podcast is not only for folks who uh can relate to our issues but also for folks that have no idea what it's like to be depressed or bipolar or have any other kind of mental issue and we want to want to be sure that they get the insight can you share with us apart from having apart from it being difficult to just get out of the bed you know and get out of the house and take a take a ride ho uh, to work can you just sort of share briefly what else how difficult it is to just perform at work when you have bipolar Sure. So it's like such a complicated question because uh, so the getting out of bed part, that's the depression, which mm -hmm. bipolar disorder, the way that it kind of works is that you go through these mood swings and it's kind of different for everyone. And some people have like different triggers um, for what can trigger a manic episode or a depressive episode. And, and as it would suggest, sometimes they just come and go. It can be over weeks of a, weeks at a time, months at a time, days at a time, but typically they categorize different um, types of bipolar disorder. I'm uh, type one, which is 
bordering schizophrenia. Um, so I have some psychotic features. So sometimes I will hear things that aren't really there. And it can be really difficult when you're having a conversation with somebody and you swear that they said something that they swear that they didn't say. And sometimes, you know, because people gaslight sometimes, especially if you're arguing. So it could be that they did say it and that you're remembering it correctly and they're just like trying to like you know like throw you off or whatever or it could be that you didn't hear it so the main issue that I have is like the ability to trust my emotions and like my actions so obviously like depressive episodes are are, it's pretty easy to recognize those because I feel like really empty and sad and it's gotten easier over time as I've gotten older because I, I start to recognize that like okay probably not nobody likes me probably not people think that their lives would be better off without me you know don't love me whatever like I've, I've learned to like realize that that's probably inaccurate and if I really am getting a feeling from somebody that like I'm not important to them I just shouldn't have them in my life so that way I don't have to wonder like is this like me being depressed or is this person actually doesn't care about me in their life so manic episodes are the polar opposite as you would imagine and these are really hard to spot the ascension into because you actually feel pretty great you think that like you're really capable and you can accomplish a lot of things. You get a huge burst of energy. You know, maybe you start like uh, working out every single day or maybe you start, you know, an art project and it's going really great and you feel super creative. So why would you stop? Right. Because like everything feels great. Yep. Well, it quickly, it's like getting high, right? So you, at the beginning, like, oh yeah, sure. Like, okay, I did this line of Coke. Like, great. I can like focus and and get all this stuff done. Well, now I'm going to do another one and another one and another one. And all of a sudden you're like naked in an alley and you are like, what am I doing? Why is everything so exciting? Right. And it's like that with a manic episode, it just kind of keeps continuing to build and build and build until you take on too much. Because you literally think you can do everything like, okay, I'm enrolling in school for architecture because I'm very creative and I can be an architect. Also, I'm going to start my own business. Also, I'm going to spend all of my money in this stock that I think is really, really great. Oh, I'm going to go take my, you know, everything that's in my wallet and gamble it because I'm so smart. I can, you know, beat the system and just goes on and on and on until you do something to destroy a part of your life. And for me, um, when I was younger, it was usually um, jobs, actually. I um, Before I was like doing web development full-time, um, I was doing it part-time on the side simply because I had all of these like minimum wage jobs that I could not keep because I would just like one day be like, I can do so much better than this and quit. And then I would have no money to pay my bills because I would like go shopping and spend it all and be like, oh, it's fine. Like, I'm really smart. Like, I can make all of this money super, super easily. When in reality, I couldn't. And so I stopped showing up for a lot of jobs. And that's how I quit them, I guess. So for a long time, I don't know. It's just, it's so hard to recognize when you're going too far into that like feeling feeling good stage and I think for people too um, relationships you have that's the hardest part because you start out being like super like loving and energetic and it's like that's really attractive to people right like you're super confident and but then it gets to be too much and you're irritable and arrogant and then people are like oh my god I, I, I actually hate this person you know and it's it's just difficult 
um, across the board. But the thing that I have over time realized is a way that I can recognize um, when I'm getting like too far into mania, when it's gone from like, oh, wow, I feel really good and I'm being really productive to I'm about to be really destructive um, is I actually like type too fast. Like I type faster than I'm thinking. So I'll leave out words in sentences. And when I notice that I'm like, I'll read a tweet and I'll notice that there's like four words missing from it. I'm like, oh crap. Like I have to take a step back and just not do anything. Like, so I won't go out with friends. Um, I won't start any new projects. I will just like, I'll look in like my backlog, for example, and find like really like tedious work to do to kind of like bring it back down. It's kind of like if you're having a panic attack and you take a Valium to sleep it off, like I do something really, really boring to like sleep it off. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I, I've i never suffered with manic episodes, but I I, had, I have depression and I, I find long overdue boring stuff to sometimes bring mm-hmm. stability and just give me space to pro- process my own issues at that time. So that makes a lot of sense. I was wondering, again, you, you, you gave an illustration of how you monitor yourself at the same time i was wondering apart from obvious suggestions what young folks can do or not yet young folks sorry but people have never had issues before and do not know how to diagnose yeah diagnose or how to continue uh, with with this with these problems because i know a lot of designers and engineers who are in their early 20s or mid 20s and they've never been diagnosed and they have no idea what's happening with them and i can always tell them well you should go to therapy or you know go to go to a therapist go to your doctor maybe you know a combination of medication and therapy can help at the same time i i find it very difficult to give any immediate advices how they can cope in a very immediate situation, uh, do you have any, you know, sort of life hacks? I know it sounds really silly. Um, I mean, it doesn't though, right? Like, I, I don't know if you guys read the Medium article I wrote um, about. It's called "I Tried to Kill Myself." <laughs> uh, so I, I definitely, I think that's really important to to talk about this stuff. Um, and I didn't for a long time because of the stigma attached. Cut really fast back to um, the first time I told somebody that I was bipolar and I wasn't like, you know, you know, sometimes when you tell people stuff, but you say it in a joking way, just in case, and then, you know, their reaction isn't like good. So then you're like, ah, yeah, just, just kidding. Me neither. (laughs) You know, um, this was the first time I was like, you know, um, I was seeing this guy who had a girlfriend, which was, you know, red flag in and of itself. Um, but I told him that I was bipolar and he looked me straight in the face and said, don't you think you should have told me that before I let you get in my car? And I was like, uh, this is going really badly. But after that, I was just like, I'm just going to keep doing it. Like, I'm just going to keep telling people because um, the only way that other people that have it too are going to start to like, you know, be like, oh, wow, like this isn't actually, I'm not crazy. Like other people have this problem too. And they're like somehow managing to function in society. Cool. So I totally think it's important to to talk about. Um, As far as like life hacks, I guess... The first thing is like, if you are like, if you're listening to me talk, for example, and you're like, wow, I really identify with like all of this. I think I might have bipolar disorder, you know, go to WebMD and like, look up the symptoms. And if you think that that's you go to a psychiatrist. Now, bipolar disorder is a finicky one because like, all I mean, I'm going to be honest and I don't recommend this, but I'm not on medication. Every medication that I've tried has made me worse. And I know that it's not because it doesn't work, but because I'm, 
like I, I've had this since I, I was, I was diagnosed when I was um, in elementary school. So I've had this pretty much my whole life. And just like a drug addict, I'm addicted to the highs that I get. And obviously that sucks. <laughs> but at the same time, like being on medication for me is like constantly detoxing. And while I don't certainly don't miss the, the depression, um, it kind of makes me feel like I'm just hovering above depression all of the time. And maybe someday somebody will figure out something that works better than that. But I think that that's the first step because everybody has a different level of bipolar disorder, whether you're like me, like bordering schizophrenia or, you know, you have more like hypomania. So like where I'm like, hey, I feel like really kind of good, but it can go into a slippery slope. Maybe that's as high as you ever get. And, you know, medication can work for you. I know a lot of people that have bipolar disorder that medication works really well for, for them. Um, a friend of mine that I've known since, gosh, I guess like fifth grade, um, she has bipolar disorder as well. And her and her mom wrote a book and she is on medication. You know, she goes to um, a psychologist and therapy every week. And, you know, she's on lithium and it works really well for her. So I think that that's definitely the first step um, because that's what everybody I know that is bipolar recommends first. And even though it doesn't work for me, it works for most people as long as they're willing to continue to take the medication. Um, unfortunately for me, when I've been medicated, it's led me into being suicidal. So it's just not for me. And if it's not for you too, if you, if you're the same boat, like, man, like I can't take this medication and you know, it's like hurting my family or whatever. Cause I keep actually going through these cycles. I mean, just take a journal, like write, write down, like how you're feeling at any given time. So if you're, especially if you're feeling really good, if you're feeling really good, start to just write down the things that you want to do. Like, Hey, okay. I want to become an architect and then write down why you want to do those things and how you're going to accomplish those goals. Because if you don't have answers for either of the other two things, then it's probably not you talking. It's your manic high talking. Like, that you can, you know, save the world or whatever. And at work, especially it's important because I'm one of those people who like, I want to fix everything. So when I see a problem in another department that has nothing to do with me that I think is like wrong because it's like hurting somebody else or it's, you know, some bad process or it could be better, something, anything, I crusade to solve it. And if you work in a big organization, you will find a lot of those problems. And it can be so debilitating because like, I can't even focus on anything. I feel like there's not enough time in any given day to accomplish all of the things I want to accomplish because I can't stop seeing and trying to fix those problems. So I write them down and I write down like, is this realistic? Why do I want to solve this problem? Is this affecting me? If this is not affecting me, who is it affecting? And do they want it fixed? Like, do they even care as much as I care about the thing that's affecting them? And I think that just communicating with yourself is actually the most important part of managing bipolar disorder as along with a healthy, healthy diet and exercise. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I think that's kind of true for like all mental health, right? Like if you, you eat really poorly and you don't move, <laughs> everything kind of like starts to break down a little bit more and drinking lots of water is really important too. You know, it's just self-care is a really important part of managing definitely bipolar disorder and probably some others too, just because you kind of like feel more 
useful. Useful is not the right word. I don't know what word I'm looking for. Kind of like a human. Like I remember productive for society. It's not even that. It's like, I remember the hardest thing for me when I was like admitting that I actually had bipolar disorder because I've been diagnosed several times and every time I'm like, they're wrong. (laughs) Like I don't have that. (laughs) Y'all are quacks. But like actually getting to a point where I was like, okay, yeah, I admit that I have this and it causes these problems in my life. Um, The first thing I did was I actually Googled what do normal people buy at the grocery store? (laughs) Because I, I didn't know how to live, right? Like I didn't know how to manage my emotions. I didn't know how to manage my time. So, and I really didn't know how people like just exist because for me, everything feels like a job. I can understand that. When I was reading your article in Medium, I, this, I think this was this is the part you spoke about as well the uh, the googling of what do normal people do. And when I was when I realized that I have depression or when I was diagnosed, I had to compare myself to other people, understanding oh, so how do you function as a social creature and not just a designer? Because I was mostly I felt like I was really good at work, but I had no clue how people function outside work. How do they talk to other people? How do they spend their free time apart from doing more work or upskilling themselves? So this weird vacuum of, oh, I have no idea what it's like to be a human outside. This very narrow set of operations that I perform. So I can understand that. Yeah, exactly. And just one of the most relatable things, I think, for anybody who is bipolar um, is actually sex. So I've never had like a real relationship because I never learned how to like get beyond the sex part (laughs) you know like obviously like I have had in my past in my early early past some violations um of a sexual nature but beyond that I I feel like I don't know when it's actually going to be like love and I don't know how to take lust you know to love like I have just always like I've started these relationships where the dudes are like obsessed with me infatuated with me and they like want me all of the time and then they're like oh hey okay I'm gonna go actually date this other girl and I'm like wait we weren't dating (laughs) like how do relationships (laughs) because I don't I don't know I don't know how they work I just realized that I'm nodding, even though it's not visible that I'm <laughs> nodding. But I was like, "Yes, I get it." Jesus, I, I should I should remind myself this is not a camera and it's just a microphone. And microphone does not convey imagery. Actually, I, I would like to take a step back and, if sorry, if you don't mind, just one more question. Um, okay. So I was just wondering, do you feel like, and this might be completely irrelevant question at the moment, but I was wondering what you think does does being a software engineer just or a designer in my case does it help to cope or I, I, it might sound like a weird question, but does our specialties or our professions, is this anything that empowers you and makes you feel better? I don't think it's an irrelevant question at all. I think that I wouldn't be alive if it weren't for software engineering, which designing is something I could have gotten into as well. But my um, Photoshop files are scary, so nobody should ever, ever look at them because it's like layer one, layer one, copy one, layer one, copy one, copy one. <laughs> no, no, no share. Nope. Nope. No. <laughs> they're all like organized and like okay no antennas labels is layers but i've had many designers which i'm like hmm so group one that's nice i wonder what's inside group one path sorry you will recognize a master by how they label their layers i will also say too that i feel like um so i actually had a a website that i made 
um, go into it, two Smashing Magazine articles for color theory, which I thought was really interesting because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like, I know that I'm really good at pattern recognition and like, I kind of, this is going to sound really lame, but I like see math <laughs> a little bit. So like, I can always tell when somebody is following like, um, certain ratios, like I can just see it, right. It looks good to me. So I'm really good at photography, for example, because of the mathematical like theories behind framing and like focal point placing. So that's kind of like how I like made it when I was doing both design and development is that like, I just see stuff that looks looks good. Right. But like, if somebody were to ask me, like, I remember getting like requests for interviews on, it was called Cipher Vault. And it was this repository of like Cipher fonts, which used to be this like flash um, replacement um, for headlines. Cause you couldn't just import fonts, <laughs> but I was getting like requests for like, they're like, Oh, like, where did you go to school? And like, what inspired you for this color palette? And I'm just like, well, <laughs> I saw this green and I was like, that's pretty. And then I just, found some other colors that were like, that looks nice. <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing that. And they're like, okay, so we're not going to use any of this. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but um, circling back to, um, I, aside from the, the aspect that, you know, I can work from home, I think it's really important um, that people with most mental health problems um, have periods of isolation, but also structure. So you, you get this like kind of basic structure of like, okay, you have product, right? And they, they need something or you have a client and they need something and they have some set of constraints, um, whether that be a time constraint or, you know, some, some, some list of things that they need. So that gives you a purpose. And it also gives you that kind of like structure that helps you stay kind of focused and, and moving forward. And you can kind of get lost in that instead of lost in your thoughts that, maybe super, super toxic to you. And I think it's the, the periods of isolation are so important, like for me at least, um, because when I get really, really bad anxiety, that can be a trigger for my depressive episodes or it can trigger like a panic attack, right? If I don't like step out of the situation that I'm in and both design and software engineering, like because you're an individual contributor, you're a maker, you get that time to yourself to kind of like sit down and solve a problem. And then on top of that, once you do solve the problem, whether it's a design problem or, you know, a software engineering problem, you get, you feel really good. And it's not, you know, manufactured by your brain. I mean, it technically is, but you know, it's like you actually did something to feel good as opposed to just like waking up being like, I'm superwoman today. You know, and that I think that that's really important because you start to learn what does feeling good feel like if I've done something for it versus what does feeling good feel like if it's my brain being like, hmm, I think I want to get high. It's a really interesting point. I've never heard anyone say that before, that satisfaction from accomplishing a piece of work is the reference for what good feels like. That's an interesting thought. Hmm. I think that's exactly how I've learned what good feels like through my uh, design work. I just wanted to ask, like you just came back from a from React Rally the conference and uh, like I wanted to ask how 
oh, that was like, how was your experience in such like in such a place that has so many people and just I've been to plenty of conferences. Sometimes it's also really hard to me. So I was just wondering, how do you cope with being in conferences and everything? Yeah. So I feel like my conference experience is different than a lot of people's, but hopefully um, if some other people have these issues and they struggle with conferences or they already do these things, um, that they'll be like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. Um, so the first thing is like, if you see Ryan Florence on Twitter, he said that he had to like find me, right? <laughs> because I'm really evasive. And I can only handle so much people, right? And so I, I went the first day in the morning and I went and, you know, I sat down to the, the keynote. I went and saw Shirley, who I made a point that I really wanted to see Shirley and meet her in person. Um, so I went to see her talk and I stayed until lunch and I went to lunch, but I didn't actually. So let me go back. Um, I didn't stay in the the theater hall or whatever, um, for the entire first part of the day, I actually went out to, um, they had some couches and stuff. And I went out and I watched the slides or watched the the stream while they were talking in the next room and I could hear them. And that helped me a lot because most people were in that room. Um, and there was only like two people um, out of the room on the couches. So that helped alleviate some of that so that I could then go to lunch um, with Shirley and some some other folks that were there. Um, and then after I just went back to my hotel room and watched it for the rest of the day from my hotel room. And then that night I went to Netflix's happy hour. Um, I didn't stay the whole time. And then there was an after party that everybody was going to where if you saw Ken Wheeler was doing Baby Got Back on karaoke, um, I didn't go to that. So I didn't get to meet a lot of people that expected to meet me there because I was already like, I had had too much, you know, so I had to like go, go back to my room and just be by myself. And the next day I watched the whole thing on the stream, which I think a lot of times like conferences, like they don't want to stream because they, they want people to be at the conferences. But even if you give people that buy a ticket, the ability to stream, like that's huge because if they didn't do that, I probably just would have missed half of it. Or I would have gone because I wanted to, you know, learn about the things that people were talking about and get other people's opinions. And I would have been like today, I wouldn't have been able to talk to you guys because it would have been such overload for me that I just, I couldn't like, I, I probably would have actually called in sick to work tomorrow even because that's how much it takes out of me to go past my limit of like socializing in person. So yeah. So the second day I stayed in my hotel room and watched it, I ordered food and uh, the after party people were messaging me, asking me where I was. And I was like, Oh, you know, maybe I'll come. I'm actually it was Ken. I told him maybe I'd come after I was done eating dinner. Um, but I was lying. <laughs> I never intended to come out because I knew that I just, I couldn't, like, I couldn't even like get out of bed to take a shower in my hotel at that point. Like I just, I needed to just be able to catch my flight the next day, <laughs> like, which was in the middle of the day. Shouldn't be that big of a deal. But like for me, when I feel anxious, I feel like I'm like trying to hold onto a rope, like over a cliff. And it just keeps like going really, really fast. Like everything is like dropping, right? And I, no matter how hard I hold on to the rope, it just keeps falling. And so then I feel like I want to try to stop time. So I won't do anything. I will just not move. And I've missed flights because I just sit there wanting time to stop. Isn't that weird? No, it's actually not that weird. I get that. I remember that last year, the uh, and I went to Reactive Berlin. They were they didn't have a stream, but they did have that thing where you could stream from inside the building. So they had a speaker room that had stream, and they also had like couches that had the stream. And I remember that like I watched pretty much all of the conference from the couches, 
and from the speaker room because there was no one else there. And I feel I feel like this is one small detail that many conferences forget how important it is because it's really hard to be around those many number of people and that many that much noise all the time. Like sometimes you just want to like peace and quiet and sometimes you have to just go outside. And um, conferences usually don't have that, which I think is like, it's such a small thing to do that actually helps so many people. And uh, I, I, I totally get what, what you're saying. I did the same, uh, same thing in React Europe. I basically, I think all the speakers actually were basically in the speaker room, just like watching the stream because there were so many people and um, we deserve to be happy as well. <laughs> actually, this, this conversation inspired another question, Mif. You spoke about conferences. There is another, I guess, wider question here. And, you know, as the I'm not sure how it works with software engineers. I'm sure it's very similar. But as, as a designer, the work itself doesn't speak for you. You know, you always have to present yourself and you always have to, like, sell yourself in a way when you look for a new studio or a new company to work for. And presenting yourself in the right way and being constantly visible is a challenge in itself. And as someone with, with, with depression, I find it very difficult to be presentable and friendly and outgoing and showcase my work in the best way when you have these severe moments of, you know, despair. So I was just wondering, because I still haven't figured out the system. I still struggle with this. How, how do you keep your career growing? How do you keep yourself visible and attractive as an employee when you're struggling with a mental illness? This is going to sound really counterproductive. But while I have a job, I've stopped caring. And um, that might not be good advice. But like, if you look at my Twitter, for example, if you look at in the past, I never said my opinions about things. I didn't talk about my mental health because of my job, you know, like, I mean, yeah, there was stigmas and stuff too. But like, for the most part, it was because of my job. And there were jobs that I had where I would write something on Twitter about suicide, for example. Um, and I would get reached out to by HR that I needed to remove it. Um, so when I quit my last job, um, before Starbucks, I was like, you know, I don't care anymore. Like if you don't like me talking about suicide, I shouldn't work for you because this is a part of my life. They made you take things out of Twitter. Oh yeah. Oh, that, that happens to a lot of people. And I've, I've talked to people now that they say that they have to run, like if they say, want to talk about something controversial, they have to, um, run it by their HR first because to the company they're representing them. I, um, if you knew everything, which I, I can't actually talk about everything because I've signed like agreements that I won't like say anything um, about the things that happened. And it's just like, if you knew, you would be like, this sounds like a, a violation of some kind, like, you know, because I should be able to talk about suicide. I've tried to kill myself, like, not just like, oh, I'm sad and I'm, you know, threatening it. Like, no, I mean, I really was like, I'm going to die. And I just failed at it. And apparently saying I failed at it sounds bad to people too. They're like, well, don't you mean you succeeded in not dying? Like, no, my purpose was to die. And I was like really angry when, because when I first woke up and came out of it, I didn't remember what had happened because I had um, taken so many sleeping pills and drank so much that I like blacked out, right? So I woke up and I was just like, why do I feel so sick? Because <laughs> so weird. And then um, passed out and I woke up in the hospital room, handcuffed to a bed and I remember looking around and I just was still so confused. I was like, I don't, why am I handcuffed to the bed? Like, I don't understand. And I saw the bottles of sleeping pills that I had taken. They were sitting on the counter, which I feel like the doctor did this on purpose. <laughs> like, I want to make you think about what you did, right? Like I'm a child. And right when I saw them, I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> 
like, I fucked up. It, it didn't work. And then I got mad because I was like, fuck, like now I'm handcuffed to a bed. I can't even try again. <laughs> and for the first like two or three weeks that I was in the um, state mental facility, all I was thinking of like was how do I get out of here so I can kill myself? But of course, you know, I'm thinking to my doctor, like, I'm not saying that to my doctor. I'm like being like, yes, I totally agree with everything you're saying. Everyone in here is crazy. And I just want to get out because I'm a normal girl, you know, but he knew. <laughs> so I'd be like, I don't understand. I'm doing everything you're saying. He's like, you still want to kill yourself. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm doing everything you say. Exactly. That's exactly the problem. <laughs> that doesn't sound real. <laughs> exactly that's exactly right so i went on a tangent there and i don't remember where i was at uh you're saying that we should as long as you have your job you don't really care about um any further promotion of yourself you know but actually you know I, i find it so disturbing that companies would and i know that's a thing but it's very disturbing that companies suppress your freedom to talk to share your story that is, I, I like, I've, I've heard people and like that, that happened to me that I put something that sounded bad, but in terms of like, maybe I'll quit or something like that. It was, I didn't say that, but something that made like someone who didn't understand think that and they asked me to take it off, but that's fine. But like, no one has ever called me and said, no, you can't add articles about mental health and you can't speak about this while you work for us. I think if I had maybe spoken about it differently, I probably wouldn't have had that conversation. But for me, I see a lot of people talking about suicide and bipolar disorder and depression. In a, and first of all, they don't have these problems. They, they've never been suicidal. And it, the message that they send is harmful. And it makes me angry because it's like you're telling a story that isn't real. Like you're making it so whimsical and glamorous and like, oh, like you're depressed. Like just t- reach out and talk to your friends. If you're depressed, reach out. Like go for a run. That's not how it fucking works. Like you don't reach out. And when people reach out to you, you might be an asshole. You might not respond like that's I, we, us, the people with mental health problems, I, I, you can't put the, the burden on us to like make ourselves well because we can't, otherwise we would like, we wouldn't be in this problem to begin with if we were just like, oh yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get up and go for a run right now. And that'll make me feel all better. Like that doesn't, what doesn't happen. Like you're fucking depressed. You You mean when people tell you to cheer up, you don't immediately cheer up. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, you don't even want to get up and brush your teeth. Like, <laughs> Go for a fucking run. <laughs> Not being anxious. Oh my God. I'm cured. Thank you so much. <laughs> wow. That really helped. I really appreciate it. You should be a therapist. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not a therapist. I think the thing that really annoys me so much is when people are like, oh, you have a depression or you have some, you know what will really help? Like just do a lot of physical exercise. Just go for a run. And I'm like, yeah, endorphins, man. Like, oh, it just cured me. I know. And I'm just like, did you ever meet anyone who has any of the things that I just mentioned? Like, no, but I, I saw it on the internet and I'm like, yeah, cool. That's like telling somebody who like has a broken leg. Well, just go for a run. It'll get better. <laughs> That's like actually the exact metaphor I used in my talk. It was like, if you ever go to a doctor and he tells you, you know what that fix that broken leg will do? Go on a marathon. Don't fucking go back to that doctor. <laughs> no doctor's going to tell you that. Fucking moron. <laughs> 
You know, funny thing is that therapists sometimes themselves advise the same thing. My first therapist that I went to see him during the first month, he said, so do you do exercise? And I was like, well, I'm not sure how I can do it at the moment. He's getting out of bed and exercise. <laughs> Multiple times, yes. Re repeatedly, on repeat. Absolutely. Hundreds one of those, of those and you'll, you're, you're cured. I think that the thing that therapists and some doctors too miss is that like, because I said exercise and eating right too, right? Like if you eat healthy and exercise, you drink a lot of water, it will help. But I mean that in the context of when you don't feel like shit. Oh yeah. When, when, you, when you're better, when you can. Yes. When you should, because then when you, A, I think you'll feel like shit less. And like B, it's kind of like if you're like, let's say you get the flu. Well, if you had been like eating really healthy and drinking lots of water, you're not going to have the flu for as long as somebody who doesn't do those things because your immune system is stronger. So it's kind of like you're building up your like mental immune system, right? So when you when you get to a point where you're like, fuck, maybe I can actually get out of bed today. Maybe you will because you feel like physically able and like you you feel like oh like okay maybe I can't go for a run but maybe I can like walk my dog around the neighborhood or something like that you know whereas if you're in really poor physical health your mental health is gonna be worse because okay well I can't even like get up and run on the treadmill for 20 minutes because like I am too out of shape or um, I feel like shit because I only eat McDonald's or you know whatever the case may be those are really extreme but like it's kind of like that you're like building up your your mental immune system I would say by just being healthy when you are in a good enough spot that you are capable of doing so. I think the thing that many therapists and like a lot of people sometimes forget as well is that is the physical effects that any type of mental illness has on you. Like, like when you, when you say that, like, oh, I can't be with people and people are just like, oh, shut the fuck up. No, I physically cannot be with people. And I don't think, I don't think like 60% of humans in general, in general that have never experienced any type of this understand that when somebody says they can't, it doesn't mean that they don't want to. It means that they physically can't. I've had a lot of people call me lazy boyfriends, namely. Um, oh, gosh, I remember this one guy in particular. I I was having trouble with showering, um, which is one of the things that I go through because, uh, I mean, I know other people go through this too, but for me specifically, it's actually related to the bathroom. Um, so when I was young, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I know that I had a trauma in a bathroom. And for most of my childhood, I could not use other people's bathrooms. I could not use public bathrooms. Um, I peed in like people's like yards, but they didn't know because I was terrified to go into their bathroom. It like gave me such like PTSD. Um, and so now like I'm aware of it. And like, I mean, I use other people's bathrooms. I like shower in hotels and stuff like, but sometimes I can't. And it's just like, you know, a part of like my, my mental illness. And like, I, that's something that causes me a lot of panic and anxiety. And so I was dating this guy and he was super, super nice. And like, he was a, um, in it. So like he, you know, he had his own, like some mental things, but not nearly to the extreme that I did. Um, and we were, we were at my house and like, I was sitting there and like doing something or whatever. And he looks up to me and he's like, Hey, I want to go out later. And I was like, ugh. and he's like, you, you could shower. And I lost it because I was just so upset. I'm like, how, what do you mean I could shower? Like, I know I am capable of showering. Like, I know that I'm allowed to shower. And he's like, he's like, well, he's like, if I don't say something, you won't. And I'm like, oh, you're right. I won't because I don't fucking, I can't. I just physically thinking about getting up 
going into that bathroom and taking a shower makes me feel like I would rather die. Like I would rather die than get up and go do that. That's how I feel. And she's like, you're being so dramatic. And I'm like, but that's the thing is like, I'm not being dramatic. It is this dramatic. Like one of the times I tried to kill myself is because I just didn't want to do a basic thing. I was like, why? What's the point of all of this? Like, it makes me feel like shit. I don't want to do any of this. It's so pointless. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to die because that's easier. Well, not easier, but like a a better option, it feels like. So, yeah. (laughs) I will say yes, I understand that. (laughs) But I know how difficult it is to explain that to other people when they're like, come on, it's not, don't be so dramatic. I've heard it. I've heard it a few times before, so I can relate. I, I did I did want to circle back to answer your question that you asked about because I, I said that like, you know, you're like, how do you like keep yourself uh, attractive to like potential yeah. employers and stuff? And I said that I just don't care. So that's not a good answer. Uh, there's a there's a second part of that, which I, um, I'll tell you right now, which is that if you don't care what well, you have a job that you like, it kind of gives you an energy reserve so that when let's say you get to a point where you hate your job um, or for or maybe, you know, a, a, a dream job is like reaching out to you or you lost your job or you have to go speak at a conference or something. You have this like backup of like, okay, like I know that for one week I can be on and like get all of these interviews out of the way or, you know, get this talk done and, you know, shake hands and make nicey nice with people at a conference and seem normal. Yeah. So there's that. That's the second half. Yeah. (laughs) That's the second half. So don't care when you don't need to, so that when you do need to, you you aren't exhausted by doing it all of the time because you know that you're going to get exhausted by it, but you have like a certain amount of time that you know that you can like do it right and only do that much and then stop. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense keeping this tiny bit of reserve. Yeah, I, that sounds like a really good idea. Actually, one more thing: if bipolar, let's 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 focus on bipolar. If bipolar was a human being, if that was a person, what would you tell to that person? Like in a very short sentence. So if like if my bipolar disorder was talking to me. Does that sound weird? As a, it's it sounds okay. He he would start out and say he's like he's a drug dealer. Okay, uh-huh. so he would start out and say like, hey, like you see this? This can make you feel kind of good. And I'm like, well, what do you mean, kind of good? It's like, oh, well, you know, you've been wanting to climb that rock wall. And he's like, I'm like, yeah. He's like, I can help you do that. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. I'll do that. So once you climb the rock wall, and he's like, hey, that felt pretty good, right? You're like, yeah. Like, how about you climb this like a uh, mountain? You know, I'm like, oh, that sounds even better. Like, oh, climbing a rock wall felt pretty good. Like climbing a mountain must feel fantastic. So then you climb the mountain. But once you get up to the mountain, you got to go back down and he's not there anymore. And you just fall. That is an awesome metaphor. <laughs> did you just think of that on like on the spot? Because that is pretty amazing. That is amazing. I did. That's how you know it's real. Because <laughs> I didn't prepare it. That's, that's really how it feels. Whew, that is that is a very good metaphor. You have to say you you can say yes to climbing the rock wall. You have to say no to climbing the mountain. Yeah, I I agree with you, especially if it's a drug dealer telling you that. Because <laughs> you're not trained for that. You ride a bike for ten minutes every week. Like I know I, I do that in Berlin now because it's all. <laughs> I don't even school. do that. I have an elliptical. Sure. Is there is there anything else you would like to add? I think anytime I talk about mental health and suicide, especially, I think the most important thing is like people always, you know give the crisis hotline, which is fine, I guess. But I think it's really important to recognize that people who want to kill themselves aren't going to call a suicide hotline. People who are really upset and in crisis 
are going to call a suicide hotline and suicide hotline people that work there, the volunteers, if you are actually suicidal, they're not trained to talk you out of it, nor are they insured uh, if you, if they don't succeed. So um, if you know somebody who is suicidal, like really going to kill themselves, you should probably call the police. And if you are suicidal uh, yourself, just try to surround yourself with people that you know, you can talk about it with and be like, that's been the most important part of my transition from hiding everything to being honest is finding people that I can say to, I want to kill myself. And either they'll call the police if they're not around because they know that I will do it um, so that I can, you know, be protected from myself and, or, that will just be there with you so that you can't. So disclaimer, I, I have a degree in psychology and I agree with you. People who have, people who are actually on the verge of committing a suicide or attempting to commit a suicide, they will not reach out. And a good point that you just mentioned is that volunteers are not actually insured. I'm not even sure how to talk about this. I got so emotional. <laughs> I think it's it's really good for people who like are going through something, right? Like maybe their boyfriend broke up with them and they feel like they want to die, but they don't actually feel like they, they don't actually want to die right? There's a huge difference between feeling like you'd rather die because you're upset about something and you don't know how you're going to get past it, but you actually have the capability and tools to emotionally move on. You have a support system and actually wanting to not be alive anymore. It's a very big difference. And I think it's really important that people who haven't been suicidal understand that. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you. Well, Thank you very much for sharing this because as I mentioned before in previous conversations, I, I believe that a lot of people who suffer from mental illnesses need to hear this so they would know they're not alone or that there are ways to cope with things or that not everything necessarily will be very easy and it's going to be a, a constant uphill battle. And at the same time, I feel like folks who have no idea what a mental illness is need to hear this as well. So they would be more understanding and sympathy and empathy, especially when we talk about, you know, let's say empl employers. And I, I personally, very I appreciate honesty and, and bravery that is necessary to share this information and your story so thank you very much for this can i say one more thing of course so i just thought of this so yesterday i retweeted this tweet and i'm actually gonna grab it and read it so um shout out to the disabled people who aren't quote unquote inspirational who are unemployed or stuck with a job they don't like who didn't do well academically and or dropped out of school who aren't in a position to live and take care of themselves. oh man aren't in a position to live and take care of themselves um I think a lot of the stories that people who don't have mental health problems love to hear are the people who, oh, I had bipolar disorder and this is how I got over it. When it's un it's incurable, you know, like depression doesn't have a cure. None of these things have a cure. Disabilities do not have cures. You live with them for the rest of your life. And I have gone through periods where I didn't have a job because I stopped going because I mentally, physically couldn't do it anymore. And I dropped out of high school. I dropped out of college several times. I am in so much student loan debt and debt that I have to pay back from grants from dropping out of school. And I'm a really smart person, you know, and I figure it out every single day. And there are days I don't figure it out at all. And these are the stories that are so important because they're everybody. They're not the person that somebody in the media or somebody with money or some publisher has decided to prop up because people that don't have these problems can feel good about, oh, you know, my friends that have these problems, though they can get over it because those are stories. Even if they're told by real people who have these problems, they're stories that people that don't have these problems want to hear and they're their fiction. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I feel like there's a real lack of the of people saying that 
I, I fucked up. Like I, this, I fucked up my life because I had this, and I, I, I feel like every, everything. Yeah, I, I don't know. Just lack of realism. That it's not, it's not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Like there's no resolution. It's just something you have to cope every day, and it might necessarily be. There's no happy ending. Yeah. You know, there's there is the ending eventually. But I agree with you. Yeah. I much, much more. I, I appreciate these stories more because they, again, they bring. Yeah, they're real. They're real. I told you that was going to be amazing. And I just want to thank Cher again for coming, even though we thank her 300 times while she was here. And after we started, stopped recording, I think, I think this is, like Agatha said in the beginning, this is the best episode that we could hope for. Am I right? You are absolutely right. We're done. No, we're not done, but that was amazing. We're not done. We're not thank, done. You for, thank you so much. <laughs> this was very interesting. And I, I felt the tears <laughs> towards the end of the episode. As our sound engineer, Simona, was editing the... It's Antonis' wife. Hey, hey, nepotism, <laughs> stop. Um, <laughs> Secrecy. Yeah, as... as, as life of the famous. When, when, when I was listening to the edits, uh, again, I, I felt quite emotional towards the end. Hope you will find this interesting and insightful. Those of you who actually have problems and mental issues of your own and those who have never experienced any of those things and just want to learn what it is like to be like us. So thank you everyone for listening. Soon we'll bring you more episodes. Some serious episodes with more guests and some random episodes where it's just Sarah and me. Sarah, will our next episode be as exciting as this one? That is a high bet. I I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna I got stuck. My brain got stuck. Continue. Please continue. It will be amazing. It will be amazeballs. It will be great. Amazeballs. Amazeballs. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, folks, and we'll see you very, very soon. Bye, Zs.